Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for December 15th, 2019. Today, Brother Omar brings us a message called Doctrine of the Church, Charismatic Gifts, Gift of Tongues. Now, Brother Omar asked the questions, should all believers speak in tongues? Should all Christians pursue this gift? And lastly, how should this gift operate in the church service? Join us as we look into these questions and explore God's Word here on Followers of the Way. So today, we finish our portion on the gift of tongues. We have been talking a little bit about it and what the Bible has to say about speaking in tongues and the gift of tongues and all that stuff. So today we're going to do our third sermon on the charismatic gifts and the gift of tongues, and we're going to finish it up. What we're going to try to do is look at some of the arguments that are used by charismatics slash Pentecostals and the way that they understand tongues. Okay, so, so far we've been talking about what happened on the day of Pentecost and the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, and that's sort of like the go-to place that typically people will go to when they want to talk about what is the gift of tongues, what does it mean to speak in tongues. So we kind of went through that. We saw what the text is actually saying, uh, what the Greek word for tongues is, what it means, etc. And the conclusion that we came to was that what happened on the day of Pentecost, as far as tongues is related, is that um, people were given the supernatural ability to speak in a language that they had not learned. Now, this was a human language that they were speaking, and we know that because of what it says. It says there were people from all these different places, and all these people from all these different places heard them all speak in the languages that they were born onto, right? So if you was, I don't know, from Rome, you heard them speak in Latin, if you were from Greece, etc. okay? So that's more or less what happened there. Now, the point of that was to show how the new covenant is going to be different than the old covenant on how is going to expand to everybody. The old covenant was a covenant that God made with the people of Israel. Okay, and it was a, a temporary covenant that he made with them, and the fulfillment of which in Christ was to expand to the whole world. So God calls this man called Abraham, and he says to him, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation, and all the families of the world shall be blessed through you. Well, Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost is a fulfillment of that prophecy. All the families of the earth are now going to be blessed by God through Abraham. He's the father of the faith, okay? And so we see how different peoples, different Jews from different places in Acts chapter 2 are hearing the wonderful works of God in their own language. If you really, really think about it, what separates peoples... It's not necessarily like geographical locations or even skin color. What really separates people ultimately is what? It's language, right? That's really the ultimate barrier that exists between peoples. It doesn't really matter if you speak a language that somebody cannot understand, then there's going to be a separation. There's going to be a a, bar, a barrier between those two people. Even if you share the same geographical location, or even you may even have the same story, 
right? Like if you're, a, if you're an African-American, right, what's your story? African-American, it's a made-up term, okay? Technically, not all Africans are black, but whatever. This is the United States, and this is how the term that is used. An African-American is a black person who lives in the United States who is a descendant, typically, from slaves that were brought over from Africa, okay? If you go down to Brazil and you talk to a black Brazilian, they don't use the same terms, a black Brazilian is a what? A black person who lives in Brazil, who's a descendant of Africans who were brought over to Brazil from Africa because of slavery. It's the exact same story, the, same, the exact same origin from the exact same region. Most of the Africans that were brought over to this side of the world were from Western Africa. Yet a Brazilian and an African-American are two distinct peoples. Why? One speaks one European language, the other one speaks another European language. There is a separation. If you're black in this part of the world, you have the exact same story. You came from, you might be in the Dominican Republic, you may be in Louisiana, you may be in New York, you may be in Panama, you may be in Cuba. It's the same story, depending on where you were dropped off, is the language that you acquire, and that's the divide. Languages is what separates people. It's what separated us, human beings, in the Tower of Babel. God gave everybody a different language, and the exact same people, descendant of the exact same one man, Adam, went into different places and became different people's groups. So what Acts chapter 2 tells us is that humanity who is separated now is going to be united in Christ. Christ is what unites humanity now. So man from every tribe, tongue, and nation, when you go to the end of the Bible, are all going to be worshiping the Lamb who bought them out of all of those tribes and tongues and nation and brought them together into one man called Christ. That's what happened at Pentecost. It wasn't about power. It wasn't about healing. It was about uniting all of humanity into this one being, Christ. So the reason why you see this uh, manifestation of languages is that is going to be sort of like an outward manifestation of a spiritual reality of everybody now being together in Christ. So that's what happens at Acts chapter 2, all right? So um, we also cover a little bit, or I've spoken a little bit about how that manifestation of tongues happened during a unique period in time, and is, I believe, a non-repeatable event, okay? There's, this happened, the church was founded, the Holy Spirit fell down, um, it filled all the believers and disciples of Jesus, and the gift of tongues was manifested. Once that happens, that is a unique, one-time event that is not repeatable, okay? That doesn't have to keep happening because having been established, there's no need to be doing it all over again, okay? So that was the other point that we cover, all right? So tongues, in summary, are, in the Bible, the supernatural ability to speak a human language that you had not learned 
um, for the purpose to manifest a spiritual reality, which is the unity that we all have in Christ. Now, the charismatic Pentecostal understanding of tongues is different, okay? They believe that tongues are either a spiritual or divine uterine or language which is not understood but communicated in the spirit. They call it a prayer language, okay? So they, by their own definition, would admit that when somebody speaks in tongue, they're speaking in a language or a utterance that nobody understands. Now, depending on the person, the group, the church, or whatnot, they will say that this is either some spiritual language or is an angelic language, right? I've heard people say things like, you know, when you pray, and you don't want the devil to understand your prayer so he could like counteract your prayer, then you pray in tongues and the devil will not understand. It's kind of like a secret communication because that is the language of heaven, right? Uh, they apparently changed the language when the devil was kicked down. I don't know what happened, but that is like some sort of angelic language. I've heard that said. I've heard it said that this is how the spirit communicates. Okay, I've heard it said that this is how you know you have the Holy Spirit, when you speak in tongues, etc. But by their own definition, tongues is primarily a spiritual, angelic prayer language that is given to believers so they can communicate in a spiritual, heavenly way. All right? That is also a way to build up your spirit. All right? The gift of interpretation of tongues in Pentecostal teaching is the gift of interpreting these angelic tongues so people could understand it. So if you've ever been in a service where somebody gets up and speaks in tongues, very rarely, but it does happen occasionally, you'll have somebody who would interpret it for you, okay? That also happens, all right? So this is the distinctive practice that makes you a charismatic. Okay? When you say, I am a charismatic Christian, means I speak in tongues or I believe that people speak in tongues. Okay? That's what makes you a charismatic. Okay? How, what makes you a Jedi? You yield a lightsaber. What makes you a charismatic? You speak in tongues. Okay? That's the thing that makes you the thing. All right? So, brief history. There was a definition change of the gift. You guys remember Charles Parham was the man who first thought up, rediscovered, came up with this teaching that the tongues should follow the baptism of the Holy Spirit, okay? And they understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be like something that happens after you're saved, okay? Now, if you remember the story, a woman by the name of Agnes Osman spoke in tongues for the first time in modern history in one of the meetings of Charles Parham, okay? This is in 1901. They thought that she was speaking Chinese. In fact, they said that she spoke Chinese for three days straight, and she wouldn't speak English. She just spoke Chinese. How do they know that she was speaking Chinese? I don't know exactly. Perhaps maybe they thought that kind of sounds Chinese-ish. I don't know. But they thought she was speaking Chinese, and so... The early, early Pentecostals actually believed 
that the tongues that they were speaking were languages. They actually sent out missionaries to the countries they thought the tongues sounded like because they believed that this is a new thing that God is doing. We can send missionaries without having to train them in the language. We just send them and they'll be able to just get off the boat and get it going. Embarrassingly, that didn't pan out when they got off the boat and they walked to the first person and they went off speaking in tongues and the person probably looked at them and thought, I have no idea what you're doing. Um, get back on the boat, please, or something. But that was the idea. The early, early Pentecostals actually believed that they were speaking languages. What happened was is that Parham heard about the Azusa Street Revival with William Seymour, remember him, uh, he was conducting the revival in Los Angeles. He wanted to go and visit because everybody heard about this stuff. And when he went, he actually had a fallout with William Seymour. There was three primary reasons why he disagreed with Seymour, which was, number one, he thought it was too emotional what was happening because it was a lot of pandemonium and stuff. Number two, there was blacks and whites and Mexicans and everybody sort of worshiping together. And if you remember, Parham thought that the races should be separated. And number three, they were not speaking, he thought, in a known language. He says they were just going on and it didn't make any sense. And that's not really tongues. William Seymour is the man who sort of redefine the gifting. I believe he saved the whole movement. Because if you're demanding that these are supposed to be real languages, so it would be very easy to corroborate that. You just, oh, you, you speak Chinese? Chinese man? Is he? No? Okay, then that's not real. All right? That would have been very easy. But if it's an angelic tongue, then nobody knows, right? And so there was a somewhat of a fallout between those two. Um, there were other follows in the early Pentecostal movement. Anyway, so there was a change in the definition of the gift. It has come down to us today. All right. So there are going to be several places and verses in the Bible that are used to teach this notion that these are angelic languages or spiritual languages, etc. Okay. So we're going to look at those verses. We're going to go over entire chapters. Okay, you guys love that, of the Bible. And we're going to cover all the places where a lot of these ideas come from. And we're going to look if that's what the Bible is actually teaching. Okay, let me give you an example. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Okay, so there you have the mention of tongues of angels. There's actually a book. I forgot who wrote it, called Tongues of Angels, okay? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2 says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit, okay? Verse 13, same chapter, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, Okay? All these texts are used to show that tongues, when you speak in tongues, when you pray in tongues, it is something that is happening in your spirit, 
but it bypasses your mind. It bypasses your understanding. You don't know necessarily what you're saying. The people who hear you don't know what you're saying, okay? So, what we're going to do, we're going to go to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, and we're going to go through them, all right? Now, the important thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that spiritual gifts are something that the Apostle Paul feels like he needs to correct on how they're being practiced in the church at Corinth, okay? There was a lot of problems with the church and at Corinth, and the letter of 1 Corinthians is a rebuke slash correction of how things were being done at the church in Corinth, okay? That's very important that this is a corrective letter, okay? He's fixing something. Also, there seems to be, and we know this from the way some of the things that Paul says, that he had received communication from the Corinthians before writing this letter. We don't have those communications. Apparently, he may have written. They may have written to him before. They may have asked him questions before. We don't have those, but we can, in many ways, infer what they may have been asking him by the answers that he gives, okay? So, this is a reply correction to issues that were happening at Corinth. So chapter 12, verse 1, begins like this. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. So, the first thing to point out is that Paul is writing to a predominantly Gentile church, okay? We know this because he points out their background. You were pagans. You were not Jews. You were not Hebrews. You didn't read the Old Testament every day. You didn't go to the synagogue. You were pagans, and you were led astray by idols, okay? So that's the first point. The second point is we can also infer from the text that there was an issue um, that the Corinthians wrote Paul about concerning spiritual gifts. In other words, it's almost as if they brought it up to him before, and he's saying, okay, so concerning the spiritual gift, concerning the problems that you were telling me about, I don't want you to be uninformed, okay? Also, one of the main issues that he addresses is the issue of speaking in tongues. Apparently, this gift had become the predominant gift, and some people were using it to kind of show off, okay? So, let's keep reading. Oh, another thing I want to mention is that I've been kind of reading or following the homilies or sermons slash commentaries of a man named John Chrysostom, and he's an early church father. He lived around 300 A.D. to 350 A.D. And what makes him particularly interesting is that he preached through the Bible. So we have entire books, Romans, Ephesians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Matthew, that we have an early church father who lived about 250 years from the apostles. And he preaches to, through these texts. Now, 
What makes it interesting about him is not, I mean, there's, his writings are not inspired, he's not the Bible, but he lived in the culture, in the time, in the language that the Bible was written. So you get a perspective of a person who lived really close to the apostles. Now, to us, 300 years sounds like a lot because we live in a completely different world. We have cell phones and all that stuff, people 300 years ago. But if you lived in ancient Rome, 300 years from you was pretty much the same, like horses, carriages. You were walking everywhere, no AC. You know, it's kind of like the same way of life, all right? So he's pretty close. What is interesting, okay? I want to read to you what he says about what I just read to you. This is his commentary or his sermon about what he says or what he understood of the verse that I just read to you. He says this, this whole chapter is very obscure, is what he says. But the obscurity is produced by our ignorance of the facts referred to and by their cessation. Being such as then used to occur, but no longer take place. So Chrysostom writes, during his time, about 250 years from the apostles, the things that we are going to read were no longer occurring during his time. Okay? So, he goes on to say, Why do they not happen now? Why look now the cause too of the obscurity has produced us again another question. Why did they happen then and does not happen anymore? Now, he doesn't answer the question as to why they're not happening in his time anymore. But he does document the fact that a lot of this had, by the time of John Chrysostom, ceased to happen. The operations of these gifts and all the things that we see in the book of Acts during the time of Chrysostom had ceased to happen. Okay? Now, that does not prove the, any doctrine other than the fact that they had stopped, and it does not answer the question why. Okay? But, interestingly, this corresponds to the early Pentecostal teaching that the miraculous gifts were being restored during the last days to usher in some great revival. Most charismatics today would say the church went cold, and that's why these things went away. But early, early Pentecostals believed, yes, these things went away, but now we're chosen to bring back the whole glory in the latter days. Okay. Now, he goes on to say, this is uh, Chrysostom. This, however, let us defer to another time. In other words, we'll, we're not going to talk about why they stopped. But at the present, let us state what things were occurring then. Well, what did happen then? Whoever was baptized, he straight away spoke with tongues, and not with tongues only, but also prophesied. Some also performed many other wonderful works. For since on their coming from idols, without any clear knowledge or training in the ancient scriptures, they at once on their baptism received the Spirit, yet the Spirit they did not see, for it he is invisible. Therefore God's grave bestowed some proof of that energy. He is saying when the idols, the, the, the Corinthians came from their pagan idols, having no knowledge of the Old Testament, they received the Spirit, and God gave them certain proofs, physical manifestation, tongues, other 
miracle or miraculous works to show proof of that energy, of that spirit that they have received. Okay? Here's how this relates to us today. One straightaway spoke in Persian, another in the Roman, another in the Indian, another in some other such tongue, and this may manifest to them that were without, in, in other words, to outsiders, that it is the spirit in the person speaking. Chrysostom documents that the tongues they were speaking were Roman, Persian, Indian, and other languages from around the time. So this shows that even early on, in the earliest times of the church, the understanding of these verses and of these gifts was language that they were speaking. Okay? And so, grammatically, the word glossa, contextually, they were from every nation of the heaven, and now historically, documented by the early church fathers, what was happening in the New Testament was actual human language spoken, not a non-language. Okay? Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is occurred, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. This is a theme. You're going to see this over and over again. Different Spirit, different members, same God. We're all one, one body, different Spirit, different members. This is how people in the ancient days emphasized something. They just said it over and over and over and over again. Verily, verily, I say unto you. And Jesus will go back and swish it up and say the same thing over and over again. Okay? So, the gifts are given for the common good. All right? In other words, the gift is not given for your good. They're giving for the common good. Whatever gift God has given you, they're not just for you or for your own self-gratification. They're for the common good. That is another theme that you're going to see here, okay? Verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between Spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, interpretation and tongues, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportion to each one individually as he wills. This is going to become important in a minute. Okay? Just, this is verse 12, as the body is one and has many members, all members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. This is a paradox. Okay? This is two things that seem contrary uh, at the same time. We are all individuals, all of us, right? You're you and me, we're all individual. We're all individual members of the body of Christ. So we're all individuals, but we're all one at the same time, right? There's only one God, right? 
one God. We worship one God and Christians worship one God. The Bible shows us only one God. Yet, Genesis, what does it say? Let us make man in our image. That sounds like a lot of people. Then you go to Deuteronomy. Behold Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. Right? God is one in three. He's only one in three. We, the church, are one in many. That is the mystery of the Bible, right? The one and the many, okay? And so, you will see here, you're going to follow all the way through. Paul is going to say that over and over and over and over again. He's, gonna, he's just going to keep beating it into their brains, okay? We're all one, though we're many, right? Leftists are all about collective, right? Collectivism. Right-wingers are all about individuals. They're both wrong, right? We're all individually saved. Your salvation is individual. But you're individually saved when you're placed in the collective of Christ, who is one body made up of many individuals. You're not going to make it to heaven on your own. You're going to make it to heaven in the body of Christ. On your own, you're not going anywhere. Christ is in heaven. He is, we are his body. You're going to make it to heaven in the body, not by yourself. But you're saved individually. You're justified, you, not, not your kids. Your kids need to get saved on their own. Your family's not going to get saved. They each have to be saved on their own, collectively placed in the body of Christ. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to explain it. That's just the way it is. All right? So he's going to drill that in. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when you are placed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. So if you're saved, you're baptized by the Spirit. Because if you're saved, you were placed in Christ by the Spirit, and you were made to drink of the same Spirit along with every other saint. Okay? You don't get saved first, and then you have to seek out the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You are baptized by the Spirit into the body when you get saved. All right? So, um, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, what would not make it any less part of the body? So Paul is using the illustration of a human body to show that all of the members of the human body make up one body and they're all important. Okay, this is going to make sense in a minute. All right, verse 27. Now you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, then teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? The answer to all of these questions is no. 
So we see from the scripture the first, the second notion of the charismatic teaching that is false, and that is not everybody speaks in tongues. Therefore, this is not something that every Christian has to pursue. Why? If you go back to verse 11, all these are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So, if you disagree with me, if you say, Omar, I believe these gifts are still operating today. Omar, this is actually an angelic tongue. Okay, fine. Not everybody speaks it. The text is clear. Not everybody speaks it. Are all Christians apostles? Are all Christians prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer is no, they don't. Because the Spirit apportions as He wills to whoever He sees fit. Okay? And I will show you, He goes on to say, still a more excellent way. Alright? So here we go. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but had not love, I am a noisy gong and, or a clanging symbol. The Apostle Paul is using hyperbole or exaggerated language to prove a point. Okay? The point is not that there is actually angelic tongues or that he spoke angelic tongues. The point is that even if I did that, or even if I could do that, without love, I am nothing. We'll see that on the next verse. And even if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but not love, I am nothing. That doesn't mean that you could actually understand all mysteries and have all knowledge. God is the only one that has that, right? But even if I did have that, but I do not have love, I am nothing. That's the point. He's not teaching that there are angelic tongues. Maybe, I don't know, maybe there are angelic tongues. I don't know. But that's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is he's exaggerating to prove a point. Okay, verse 4. Beautiful portion of scripture. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Prophecies, they will pass away. Tongues, they will cease. Knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, a lot of people who hold to the views that I have use this verse to teach that the miraculous gifts have passed away because he says it. He says tongues will cease, prophecy will pass away, knowledge uh, will pass away when the perfect comes. Um, the problem is we don't know from the text exactly what the perfect is. Some folks will say the perfect is the Bible. 
right? When the New Testament was completed, the perfect Bible was completed, therefore the miraculous gifts passed away with the closing of the canon, right? Right now, when Paul was alive, they were prophesying in part because the Bible was being written, right? Or they, were, um, they had knowledge or saw in part because the Bible was being written. Um, I think that's too much. I think that's too much of an assumption. I don't think the verse is clear. The perfect may also be the second coming of Christ, right? When the second coming of Christ comes, that's the perfect. And of course, we're not going to need prophecy then. We're not going to need knowledge then. We're not going to need any of these things then because the perfect is here. That very well may be the case, okay? It could go either way. Um, in fact, it could probably go more the second coming of Christ way than the other way, all right? Nevertheless, the point is love never ends, okay? Love never ends. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but when then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is actually a chapter about spiritual gifts. Some people think Paul is talking about spiritual gifts, and he does a little parenthesis, he talks about love, and then he goes back. No, he doesn't. It's all the same context. And in chapter 14, he says, pursue love. Pursue the thing that I just talked to you about. Love is what fuels the gifts of the Spirit. Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Prophesy is to speak God's word and to communicate it to people so they know it, so they understand it. Okay, he's going to spend a whole chapter making a point that I want you to see. Okay, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to man but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit, okay? Not all spiritual gifts are of equal value. Paul is going to say that tongues were to be subservient to speaking the word of God. And he does this by pointing out that when people speak in a way that you cannot understand, then that is useless. Speaking to people in a way that they do not understand what you're saying, speaking aloud things that cannot be understood is, according to Paul, useless. When you speak, speak in a manner that people understand. All right? Um, on the other hand, he who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. The gifts were given to edify the church. The point of the gifts was not to build you up, but to edify the church. So the one who speaks in a tongue in a way that nobody understands is not building up the church, they're building themselves up. They're working contrary to love. That's the whole point. It's not that there is a prayer language that makes you stronger spiritually. 
is that if you do that, you're working against the Spirit and you're working against how the spiritual gifts ought to work, which is to build up the church, not to build yourself, okay? Um, verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? The whole point he's emphasizing, when you speak in tongues or when you speak to the church, you need to speak in a manner that they understand. If not, they're not going to understand, and the whole thing is useless. All right? Verse 7. Even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes. How will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives a dis indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourself. Okay? If if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourself, since you're eager for manifestation of the Spirit, Strive to excel in building up the church. So, whatever you believe about the gifts of the spirits, if you were to just follow this, you wouldn't see a lot of the stuff that you see in charismatic churches. Okay? Now, Paul is going to dig in a little more. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to skip. Okay? In verse 26... I want you to see Paul's instructions, all right? Verse 26, what then, brother, after he tells them all this stuff he's going to tell them, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If anybody speak in a tongue, now remember tongue is language, okay? Let there be only two or at most three. That's it. Two or three. Okay? And in turn, not at the same time. All right? So if one is doing it and you're over there and you sit down and you wait for this person to get through the thing. So, and at the most, you're going to have three people. And after the third person does it, that's it. That's the end of that. All right? You wait till the next service, whatever. But this, it's done. All right? So that's the other thing. All right? So one at a time. All right? And in turn. But, verse 28, if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. So if you, nobody's going to interpret it, okay, then you don't do it. All right? Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. All right. So he establishes an order. Things have to be done in order, in turn, in time, okay? If there's nobody to interpret, then you don't do it. If somebody is doing it, then wait for the interpretation, so that way everybody can understand. All right? And then he says... Um, 
the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, there is no such thing as getting out of control, right? A lot of people say the spirit just came down and everybody went crazy. That was not the spirit. If the spirit would have come down, according to Paul, then everybody would have been orderly and everything would have been done in order. It would have been actually the opposite. Why? Because God, who is the spirit, is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches. They're not permitted to speak, right? Meaning preaching authoritatively, all right? So the women, when it comes to tongues, Paul says they're not doing it, all right? They should be in submission as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. It is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? He's talking to the Corinthians. Or are you the only ones it has reached? Meaning, this, you're, not, you know, you're not special, right? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or a spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. These are God's commandments, all right? This is a command from God. And so, several things to take. Number one, tongues are languages. Number two, um, not everybody does it. Number three, in the church, you have an order. You have one person does it, nobody else does it, and if there's no interpretation, nobody's doing it, and everybody takes turns, and everything should be done orderly and peacefully. <coughs> None of these things are things that we see in the vast majority of charismatic Pentecostal churches. There are many who do, though. There are many good charismatic Pentecostal churches that are not like the other ones that we see. But when we look at the gift of tongues, number one, in the New Testament, it was not the way that we see it practiced today. Now, we have to come to a point where we have to choose experiences, things that we see, and what does the Bible teach about this particular gift. And if we are to believe the Bible and follow the Bible, then we have to acknowledge that the things that we see today perhaps are not things that are biblically being practiced. All right, And that we as a church because we're not going to go out and tell everybody else what to do. We as a church, if we want to follow Scripture, right, then we have to practice the things that the Bible tells us. And so the notion that everybody needs to speak in tongues, the notion that you have to seek the gift of tongues is not biblical. You're going to have people who tell you that. I've had people to, I've, I've seen everything from people laying hands on me to tell me to repeat words in tongues, you know, the whole thing to get me started, give me a little jump start. You know, you're not doing it, so just repeat what I'm saying, try to get you going. I've seen all of that. I've seen there's classes that you can take on how to speak in tongues. If it is a gift, you don't have to go to school for it, right? It's a gift, right? And so you see all these things happening still today. If they're not biblical, we don't practice them. We don't believe them. We go with what the scripture says. Now, in regards 
to the text that spoke about women being silent in the church. All right. I have a couple of things. Number one, uh, that does not mean that women are to be silent all the time. It's talking about during the church service, the Bible gives the predominant role of leadership to men. That's the Bible, right? Whether we like it or not. Jesus chose 12 apostles who were men. The patriarchs of Israel were all men. God gives leadership roles in his church, in the family, to the man. God knows better than we do, all right? Um, the other thing is, it doesn't mean that outside the church, outside the service, even when it's not like authoritatively women cannot speak, women can share the gospel, teach the gospel, write books, teach, preach, talk at conferences, you name it, women can do all of that. But when it comes to the church service, Paul, as a command from the Lord, said that the predominant role of leadership and speaking in the setting of the church service is to go to the man, as it also says in the law. The Levites were the sons of Levi. They were the men who led the rituals in the Old Testament and the ceremonial rituals in the temple and so forth. All right. So we see the order of service in the Bible is orderly and peacefully and not chaotic and confusing. All right. I skipped over the part where the Apostle Paul says if somebody was to walk into one of your meetings and you're all speaking in tongues and being all loud, they're going to think that you're out of your minds. That's exactly what Paul says. They're going to think that you're out of your minds. So when you are speaking God's word, in contrast, let me get that verse. I know, I'm, I'm over the time. I'm sorry. All right, let me get you that verse. All right, verse 23, chapter 14. He says this, If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and, out, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, they will not say that you're out of your minds. But if all prophesy or speak God's word, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. When they hear God's word spoken clearly, that's what happens. But when it's a wild ride, they're going to say, you people are out of your minds. Order, peace, not chaos and confusion is how the church is to conduct herself. Not embarrassingly, not ridiculously, not doing things that are, the world looks at and says, that's just ridiculous. That's not how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be orderly, quietly, and speak peacefully the Word of God. All right? And so, our, many of our charismatic brothers, I believe, uh, are doing things that are not biblical. Many of them are. Thank God for that. And when they do, it really doesn't matter what you believe about the miraculous gifts. If you're doing the things the way the Bible is, it doesn't make a difference. It's all going to look the same. Orderly, peacefully, and the Word of God is going to go forth. All right? So, I am late. In conclusion, um, we believe that the charismatic Pentecostal understanding of tongues is incorrect. 
Uh, that being said, many of them are our brothers in Christ. We appreciate their ministry. We simply disagree with a secondary doctrine. Um, there are elements of the whole charismatic movement that may be detrimental and dangerous. Um, we will get into that later on. But as a church, the thing to take from this is that we are to always conduct ourselves peacefully, orderly, and emphasizing always the communication of the Word of God that is applicable not only to church, but to our own personal lives, our families, and everything that we do. Order, peace, Word of God. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your scripture, Lord. We thank you for preserving all of these words and commands for us right down to this day, Lord. We pray that as a church, we may be able to live up, Lord, to your expectations and your standards, that you may give us the strength to do so, and that you may help us um, in our giftings that you've given each one of us, Lord, to help each other out and to practice it to the, for the common good of each other, Lord. Um, help us, Lord, as a church, to be always amicable towards others, Lord, that may even disagree with us, always in love, Lord, but let us also have a conviction of your word and what it teaches. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.